Hey everybody, how's it going? And welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I'd like to wish you a merry whatever and a happy winter. Now, as this podcast episode is dropping, it is December 20th, which as I believe we all know, is Solstice Eve. Oh, are you unfamiliar with the very special holiday of Solstice Eve, the night before the winter solstice? Well, it's that very special time of year when my mom decided she wanted to create a non-secular holiday, and therefore us children should leave our sneakers outside and the solstice elves would fill them with, you know, nutritious candy, like carob and bitto honey. Okay, I'm pretty sure there was actually no carob involved, but the rest of that actually did happen. And I would always put my pair of ruse out as my sneakers because they had that little extra pocket. You know, that tiny pocket in the shoe that would only fit a quarter in it. And so it was always my hope that those elves would uh, put an extra quarter in that shoe. Usually didn't work out, but it was worth a try. Man, I wish I could still get a pair of ruse. Those are fun. They were endorsed by Walter Payton, I believe. What an odd choice. For those few listeners out there who don't celebrate the winter solstice with a combination of fictional elves and sneakers, I understand there's another holiday coming up soon. Christmas? Something like that? I, I didn't really catch the details. But I did catch the details of a certain story called A Christmas Carol, which... Pretty good story. But what interests me more than the exploits of Ebenezer Scrooge uh, figuring out that not being a total fuckwad is a good idea is the prequel to that story. Because you know how the story ends with Scrooge sticking his head out the window? A trio of ghosts have just spooked some holiday cheer into him. And he goes, You, sir, what day is it? And the kid tells him it's Christmas. And then he goes, uh, Go Buy the Cratchits the biggest goose you can find. And the kid goes, the one in so-and-so's window? The one as big as I am? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that goose. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing slightly. See, the story I want to know is the prequel to this story where a brave band of hunters and warriors go out and find the teenager-sized goose that has no doubt been terrorizing Victorian England and kill it. Now that is a story that would fill my heart with holiday cheer. Ho, ho, ho. Kill that goddamn horrifying goose monster. Well, enough of this seasonal malarkey. You'd probably like us to discuss a comic book. Well, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Keeping in the spirit of this holiday nonsense... Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. Twas the night before Christmas, and in the sanctum, the defenders were partying with joyful aplomb. Namor and Surfer, who had unquit the team, were comparing their abs, their torsos quite lean. The sweaters Wong knitted them lay thrown aside, for wearing a shirt Namor could not abide. And Nighthawk and Hawkeye, the two douchebag bros, were following Valkyrie with twin mistletoes. But what to their faces should materialize but Valkyrie's fists, giving them both black eyes? The thing, meanwhile, had collapsed from too much gin, and would wake the next morning to ask, 
What happened? And of course there was Steve being Steve as could be, all decked out in trinkets like an eldritch Christmas tree. He had mansplained to Valkyrie the holiday's roots, and how Odin inspired the man in red with the boots. And with each gift he received, he made a comment. Oh, I own something like this, but more resplendent. Now he comes to the Hulk and he says to the brute, I got you beans, behemoth, the magical fruit. But the Hulk doesn't mind. He gobbles with glee, for he understands the holiday's true meaning, you see. Whether you celebrate solstice or light lights for Hanukkah, or say happy holidays, or like Barbara, just, ah! The true gift of the season is spending it with friends. So with Hulk's lesson, our holiday rhyme ends. Like Luke Cage, you may say, you all have a sweet Christmas. But my gift to you, dear listener, is this Yuletide synopsis. Thanks, Devin. New Teen Titans, number 29, March 1983. First Blood. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. Raven. Wonder Girl. Kid Flash. Cyborg. Beast Boy. Robin. Speedy. Terra, Francis Kane, previously in the New Teen Titans. A few weeks ago, belligerent boy Bowman Speedy, a.k.a. Roy Hopper, rejoined the Titans at the behest of world's worst district attorney Adrian Chase. Several months ago, one of Kid Flash's college chumps, Francis Kane, got possessed by the disembodied spirit of Dr. Polaris, DC's C-minus version of Magneto. The mediocre mimic of Marvel's Master of Magnetism took over Francis's body and used it to go on a Godzilla-esque rampage through Gotham. The good news was that the Titans were able to use some science they found to perform a scientific exorcism of Dr. Polaris with science. The bad news was that Fran's mom turned out to be a real asshole. The elder Mrs. Kane was convinced that her daughter was pals with Satan and told Fran to hit the bricks, and that she wished she was dead. Shitty. When Fran told Wally about her predicament, the heroic teen told his pal, good luck with that, I'm sure you'll be fine, and sent her off to live on the streets. Great job, Wally. After all, it's not like you had a mostly vacant, enormous skyscraper in the middle of New York at your disposal, and it's not like anything bad has ever happened to a teenage runaway in a Teen Titans comic book. Wally West sure was a great friend. A few months after that, Beast Boy ran afoul of an earthbending teenage criminal named Terra. Between Beast Boy's flurries of awkward, inappropriate sexual innuendos, Terra managed to inform her shape-shifting stalker that she was being coerced into committing crimes by terrorists who claimed to be holding her father captive. The Titans intervened and with Terra's assistance beat the crud out of the team of terrorist turds who had been terrorizing Terra. After being thoroughly pummeled, the leader of the crime-coercing creeps admitted that the terraforming teen's dad, who incidentally was the king of Markovia, had in fact been dead for quite some time, and the criminal and his crime buddies had just been taking advantage of that fact to trick Terra into robbing banks and shit for them. What an asshole! Beast Boy welcomed a tearful Terra to the Orphan Club and told her that she could hang out with the Titans whenever she wanted. The gang agreed, but Cyborg and Raven had some misgivings. Ravens were due to her empathic powers, while Cyborgs were due to the almost weaponized intuitive Street Smarts, apparently possessed by all black comic book characters. 
And recently, the Brotherhood of Evil, a group of ridiculous accent-having antagonists of our adolescent heroes, launched into a vicious attack on the Church of Blood, an evil cult led by a charismatic alleged septicentennial douchebag named Brother Blood. Gadzooks! Will our heroes get drawn into the Brotherhood and the Church of Blood's douchebag Donnybrook? Will Terra's recent realization of her orphanhood forestall Beast Boy's insistent amorous intentions? And is being a princess an official requirement for female Teen Titans? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yep, they sure will. Well, sort of, but don't worry, he still finds a way to be completely inappropriate. And, gosh, it sure looks that way. I mean, if Terra joins, that will make it four for four who have at least one monarch for a parent. In the depths of the Church of Blood's compound in Buzzard Bay, Massachusetts, septicentennial cult leader Brother Blood is relaxing by doing some Tai Chi on top of a giant phallic column of human skulls. The suspiciously spry, sinister 700-year-old has his morning exercises interrupted by the arrival of his major domo, Mother Mayhem. Mayhem informs the perfidious pontiff that the Brotherhood of Evil has just destroyed the Church of Blood's main temple in the Baltic nation of Zandia, and has killed all of the cult members therein. Brother Blood tells his underling, and occasional lover, gross, that he is already aware of the Brotherhood's actions, and that they will be punished for their blasphemy. He states that only he has the authority to punish his parishioners. So kind of a, nobody horrifically murders my little brother but me sort of thing. Ah, Speaking of the Brotherhood of Evil, the bloodthirsty fuckwads in question have just hopped onto a jet to America after successfully trashing the Zandian Church of Blood and killing a metric butt-ton of cultists. Just a brief recap of the Brotherhood's roster, the away team who has embarked on their murderous mission of mayhem consists of Phobia, an evil lady in a green bodysuit with a Dracula cape who can make people hallucinate their greatest fear, which is usually snakes for some reason, Hungen, a dude in an elaborate feathered headdress, a speedo, and suspenders, who is a master of the somewhat nebulously defined practice of scientific-based voodoo. Warp, a dude with a phonetically spelled out ridiculous French accent who wears a full-body uncircumcised turtleneck and has teleportation powers. And Plasmus, a walking tub of chemical goo who looks kind of like a svelter, grosser version of Grimace from McDonald Land, has a phonetically spelled out ridiculous German accent, and melts people by facepalming them. The away team is led remotely by The Brain, a disembodied brain perched atop an R2-D2 body, and The Brain's longtime roommate, Monsieur Mala, a giant super-intelligent ape with a ridiculous French accent who is the fucking best. The Brotherhood of Evil is unapologetically, mustache-twirlingly, diabolically evil, and I kind of love them for it. The villainous cadre of multinational murderers is congratulating themselves on what a good good job they did with all the murder and whatnot, when Plasmus notices that something seems to be amiss with the jet they are on. Turns out the pilot is a robot who is programmed by Brother Blood to crash them into the ocean. Whoops. Man, they really need a more stringent vetting process for potential employees. First question on the application, are you a robot who is going to try to kill us? This won't necessarily disqualify you from the job opportunity, but if you are, you'd better have one hell of a phonetically spelled out ridiculous accent. Anyway, the plane crashes into the ocean, but at the last minute, Warp powers up his turtleneck and teleports them all to a nearby desert island. Meanwhile, at the Titan Tower, 
Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, is doing an intense Rocky montage of a training scene. Wonder Girl stops by to check on him. She's concerned that Dick's been pushing himself way too hard lately, trying to live up to his shitty dad Batman's impossible standards, and it's been making him act even more appropriately named than usual. Dick says that while he appreciates her concern, which he doesn't, that he's just fine, which he isn't, and that he can handle this himself, which he can't. Donna is unconvinced, but decides to table the intervention for the time being, seeing as she's running behind schedule and wants to go eavesdrop on Raven and Wally like a good teen titan. Way to get back to your roots, Donna. As the adolescent Amazon engages in this most teen titanly of activities, she hears Wally asking Raven to do his homework for him. Sheesh, Wally. If word of this gets back to your dad, he's going to take back that ceremonial man-of-the-house carving knife he gave you. When Raven denies his request, the scholastically slacking speedster changes tack and tells Raven that she should be his girlfriend. The Azerathian empath responds by saying, Look, Wally, we've been over this. I like you, but if we started dating, I wouldn't be able to suppress my emotions, and my asshole demon father would jump out of my body and kill you and everything else on this planet, and that would be a bad thing. Wally's like, yeah, okay, but let's date, and you can be my girlfriend. Fucking Wally. Strangely, Donna's takeaway from this overheard conversation seems to be, must be nice for Raven to know that her dad's a genocidal demon who lives in her soul. I don't even know who my birth parents are. Oh boy. Another member of a royal family of a fictional nation trying to come to terms with the fact that they're adopted. This is a Christmas prince all over again. Only with less inexplicable accents. Speaking of inexplicable accents, half a world away, on a tropical island, the Brotherhood of Evil are recovering from their near-death experience. Warp says he knows that they are anxious to get on with their mission and need to get to America soon, but he's too tired to teleport them. But then Plasma says that he really wants to go now, so Warp says, Okay, but I'll have to take the trip in 30-mile chunks and rest in between, okay, mon ami? And off they go. Evil road trip! The Brotherhood embarks on their transatlantic journey, but somehow the Church of Blood is aware of their route and has acolytes set up to ambush them at every stop. So, the Brotherhood gleefully murders those acolytes at every stop. Back in New York, a familiar-looking teen stares meaningfully across the Hudson River at the Titan Tower. Slowly and deliberately, the young woman uses her magnet powers to float across the river to her T-shaped destination. It's Francis Kane. Remember from the previously in the New Teen Titans thing a few minutes ago? Yeah, her. Back inside the tower, Starfire and canonically worst teen titan Roy Harper, a.k.a. Speedy, are hanging out in the kitchen making some soup. Roy decides to take this as an opportunity to reconfirm his status as the worst by aggressively hitting on the Tamaranian princess. When Coriander rebuffs the amorous archer, informing him that she is dating Robin, he's like, So? Oh, Speedy, it's like you never left. Fuck you. After a few seconds, the aforementioned Dick enters the room and starts acting like, well, himself. He's super pissy with Roy, which is fair, and Starfire, which isn't. He acts controlling and dismissive of Coriander, and the unhappy couple heads off to have a meeting with world's worst district attorney, Adrian Chase. Fucking Dick. Meanwhile, now only a quarter of a world away, the Brotherhood of Evil is still merrily murdering their way across the Western Hemisphere. Carry on. 
Back in the tower, Beast Boy is following Terra around and asking her for more details about the terrorists who murdered her and about her father's murder. Terra tells the Emerald Adolescent to fuck off and let her grieve, but he's in full Columbo, just one more thing, mode. Man, for a group that is so good at eavesdropping, the Titans sure don't know how to listen. Terra trips Gar and runs away. Hooray! A few minutes later, a long string of capital E's alerts the Titans that they have an unauthorized intruder on their island. Well, either that or that a rabid rat is about to eat a baby. Fortunately, it turns out to be the former. Frances Kane has arrived on the island. It seems that her magnetic powers have returned. Well, this time around, she seems to have more control over her magnetiness. She's still pretty freaked out. Naturally, Roy responds by hitting on her. Fucking Roy. Wally says maybe she should join the Titans, but she's like, no, I don't want these powers. I just want to be normal. Besides, I'm not a literal princess, so I don't think I can join. Over at Adrian Chase's Manhattan apartment, Robin and Starfire are hanging out with Chase's wife, Doris, and his two children, who may or may not have names. As they wait for Adrian to finish putting on his signature green three-piece suit, Doris and Starfire bond over the fact that the men they love are total assholes. Once again, we head back to the Titan Tower, where Roy is reheating some soup, and Wally and Raven are chatting with Francis. Suddenly, the Brotherhood teleports into the kitchen. It seems that their primary mission all along was to kidnap Raven so that the brain could use her powers. Use them for what, you ask? Why, for the same thing he does every night. Try to take over the world. Gnorf! Sorry. Speedy shoots some arrows at Plasmus, but they only seem to annoy the Pizza the Hut-looking Teutonic tub of goo. Kid Flash has slightly better luck, but then Hoongan says some science words and uses his voodoo definitely not magic to give the junior wizard of Wiz a bum knee. Warp teleports Raven away to some sort of special prison that they have prepared for her, but as her body is whisked away, Raven's giant bird soul self escapes and goes on the offensive, until Phobia steps in. The fear-mongering femme fatale uses her powers to make Raven confront her greatest fear, and for once, it isn't snakes. Under Phobia's influence, Raven hallucinates that she has succumbed to her emotions and allowed her dad to crawl out of her body and kill Wally. Which may be a bit of an Ouroboros, because the trauma causes Raven's soul self to lose her temper and attack Wally, who she believes to be her shitty dad Trigon. Shitty. Francis comes in and starts flinging metal all around, which slows the Brotherhood down a little bit, giving Speedy the chance to take out Hoongan and Plasmus with some trick arrows. Phobia then makes Roy experience his greatest fear, which is reliving his drug addiction and withdrawal. Hey, hey, that's two greatest fears in a row that weren't snakes. That's got to be a record for Phobia. No, wait, never mind. I guess during Roy's drug days, he hallucinated a lot of giant snakes. So she just made him hallucinate that he was hallucinating some snakes. Wait, does that mean the snakes are real? Man, that is some next-level shit. Fortunately, before we are forced to ponder the metaphysical conundrum of second-tiered dream snakes, Francis beans Phobia on the noggin with a coffee urn. Hooray! The Brotherhood are all knocked out, but Raven's astral bird thingy is still separated from her body and attacking Wally, which it thinks is Trigon. Roy and Francis are at a loss as to how to stop the rampaging Azerathian astralavian avatar, when Raven's body teleports back from wherever Warp had sent it and reunites with her soul. 
Once her bird soul has been safely jammed back into its corporeal vessel, Raven is relieved to see that she hadn't killed Wally as she had feared. Wally, on the other hand, isn't so stoked. Apparently, during the astral attack, Wally sensed the great evil of her father's influence inside of Raven. You know, the influence she's told and warmed him about like a million times? The one she's devoting all of her energy to trying to suppress? That evil influence. Anyway, now that he found out that Raven was telling him the truth, Wally hates her and is super scared of her. Raven tries to apologize, but Wally tells her to fuck off. So she does. Bummer. Oh, Teen Titans. So much eavesdropping, so little listening. Also, uh, guys, are you gonna do anything with that pile of unconscious supervillains that you got there? Cause I'm pretty sure they're not gonna stay that way forever. No? Okay. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going okay. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Pretty good. So, what'd you think? This was all very well done. I loved it. This is my favorite single issue we've covered in a while, I think. That's nice to hear. Yeah, it was really just cool. It was pretty cool. What in particular was favorite about it for you? Honestly, I got stoked from the cover. Mm -hmm. I think that led into the whole thing where I was just like, this is a fun adventure we're going on. It's well-paced. It's a lot of setup. I like the bad guys versus bad guys angle. I was stoked that I think maybe it partly put me in a good mood that I know they aren't featured heavily in this issue, but that the brain and Monsieur Mala are still part of the Brotherhood of Evil. They're running things, man. Yeah. You get the lead off with Brother Blood surfing on a pile of skulls. Like, Do we know... I feel like maybe we've been explained this already and I've forgotten the source of the animosity between Brother Blood's crew and the Brotherhood of Evil. I don't think so. Oh, okay, good. No, I was I, afraid I, I think had missed that's something. still coming up. They do not like one another. They know they're going to get it on because they don't get along. Bang a gong. You know what? I'm going to put a gong sound effect right there. Thank you. I'd like to apologize to listeners last week's episode when I listened back to it for the first 20 minutes. All of the gong noises are a few seconds off, and it drove me crazy when I finally heard it. I might go back and re-edit it and post it again. It just seems like a huge pain in the butt, but yeah, sorry. Gong with the wind. Oh, jeez. Corey, (laughs) that is maybe as bad a joke as the ones that Speedy tells in this issue. Oh, no! (laughs) I actually loved Speedy's bad jokes in this issue. The one that you had to explain to me once you explained it to me, I <laughs> was pretty amused by the fact that his humor is very much along the lines of like, he's like an elderly person. He's doing Henny Youngman humor. He's doing old like Borscht Belt bits, yep. which I actually found charming. It is There were two moments in this issue where I found Speedy very charming. That was one. And it was a very, like, these moments last one panel. The other one is when he is sitting and trying to eat a sandwich while Beast Boy and Tara are arguing. Mm -hmm. And he just says, hi, how's it going? And Tara's like, you shut up, Archer! And he's like, nice day if it doesn't rain. Yeah. Which is kind of a running bit that they have in this, but I was like, that's actually kind of cute. Yeah, other than that, he was such a piece of shit in this issue. I know. And did not exactly stand out from the crowd. There's a lot of jerkiness in this. There is. So let's start off with three different segments. The first one, since we've already been on the topic a little bit, fucking Roy. 
Oh, Roy. Fucking Roy. It's like Wolfman had listened to our podcast where we fixate <laughs> on all of the ways that Speedy sucks and is an asshole and is super creepy with women mm -hmm. and decided that, yep, that's the character of Speedy and just went all in on it in this issue. Yep. We see him literally hitting on just about every woman in the Teen Titans, with the exception of Tara, which, which he makes an excuse for. Yeah, he's like, I would hit on her, but I have a rule. I don't hit on 15-year-olds. Mm -hmm. You're such a fucking prince. Gross. But Dick and Starfire are definitely a couple. Doesn't matter to Speedy. Nope. He's still going to hit on Starfire. Duh. Like he hit kid. on Raven in the last issue. He hits on Francis Kane as soon as she shows up. It, it's ridiculous. And he's creepy about it, too, with Starfire. It's like, they... Okay, obviously they've got some sort of rapport, but still, like, he's super physically close to her. He's, like, touching her arm while yeah. she's cooking. And, like, even if you're a jerk, like, you should know not to do that. Yeah. Shouldn't you? You should. Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't do that to anybody. You definitely shouldn't do that to somebody who's dating one of your best friends. Ah, Yeah. Gross. And Robin gets super pissed off when because he overhears part of that oh, flirting. Oh, God. And well, then he's a... Okay, that brings us to the second segment okay. that I wanted to talk about, which is fucking dick. What a dick. What a dick. I wrote that down. Dick is a dick. Yeah. He's just a super, like, type A personality asshole in this. Is super controlling of Starfire, which is really creepy. Mm -hmm. And is just a, a jerk to her. And when he's, like, driven and talking about doing work and stuff. Donna tries to talk to him when he's doing his weird Rocky montage scene. Mm -hmm. Where he is wearing a little pink Speedo while he works out. And it reminded me so much of... Have you ever seen the movie Stone Cold starring Brian Bosworth? Mm, no. You are missing out. Lance Hendrickson <laughs> is in it. They have a big chain fight. It's got a late era, like, <laughs> late 80s, early 90s Doobie Brothers soundtrack. It's just getting better and better. That's what I'm saying. Okay. It's an amazing film. It's also terrible. But the, one of the opening scenes when you learn what a cool dude Brian Bosworth is, is <laughs> he's just hanging out wearing a pink Speedo oh, wow. in his apartment. And then his FBI partner shows up and it's like, oh, geez, what are you doing here? And he's just like, yeah, I'm just hanging out with my iguana wearing a pink Speedo because I'm cool. Uh, is this is Super Bowl Shuffle era. Okay, Brian Bosworth was not part of the Bears, so he was not doing the Super Bowl Wait, shuffle. Wait, he's not the guy with the... Who's the guy with the the mullet and the wraparound sunglasses? Oh, that's Jim McMahon, Corey. Oh, no. He's the punky QB. Brian Bosworth. Who's the Bosworth guy? Uh, Brian Bosworth played for the Seattle Seahawks. He was... He was a huge bust coming out of college. He was he basically played like two or three years in the league. Coming out of college, he was supposed to be like the next big thing. He also had a blonde mullet, but he he was <laughs> See, this is too he confusing. was in a poster you might have seen at Red's Shoe Barn okay. um, that said the Wizard of Boz because he was going to Seattle and it had a picture of him with a bunch of people from the Wizard of Oz characters surrounding him, but he was wearing a jersey that said Monster DB. Uh, which was supposed to be defensive back, but it really, I was like, wow, well noted. Yes, that guy with the blonde mullet with spiky hair and wraparound sunglasses is very obviously a monster DB. Ah, oh, man, I totally, I'm going to have to go look this up because I think they might be the same dude from my childhood they're, memories. Oh, they're, they're not, Corey. They are different. They are distinct and discreet people. I don't know. <laughs> Corey, I'm telling you right now. 
<laughs> Jim McMahon and Brian Bosworth are different people. And they're both different people from Dick Grayson, who let's let's oh, get okay. back to. All oh, right, right. At least briefly. <laughs> what an asshole he is. He is really dismissive of Starfire throughout the issue when they're out meeting with Adrian Chase, the worst district attorney in the world, and his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Starfire's like, oh, what cute, what wonderful children you have, Mrs. Chase. Mm -hmm. And Robin's like, we're not here for fun. Yeah. And she actually says something that I know that she is an alien. It sounds creepy the way that she says it. I'm just going to read the exchange. Your children are beautiful, Doris. I love children. Don't you, Robin? Starfire, we're here on business. I know, but we can still enjoy some pleasures. I don't want anybody to say that while they are holding my child. It's just, uh, English is a different planet. Yes, English is a different planet. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I'm sure it's it's a translational thing, but there is just something, it's the way that that is written, it sounds creepy. Uh, I know she doesn't mean anything untoward by it. Frankly, even if she wasn't holding a child, anybody saying, we can enjoy some pleasures. It sounds weird. It sounds weird and creepy. But he's also super dismissive of the children who are trying to engage with him in conversation. Like one of the kids says, Gee, what's Superman and Batman really like? They're my absolute favorites right after E.T. Yeah, mine too. Mrs. Chase, will Adrian be long? Yeah. When he comes in and Roy is flirting with Coriander, Mm -hmm. he's a total dick to Speedy, which is fair. Mm -hmm. Dick, we were just talking about you. Sure you were, Roy. I heard. Stay away from Cory. She's not yours. Implying that she is his. Mm-hmm. Not cool, dude. What? Speedy. Speedy does call him on. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had a bill of sale. Also gross. Well, I think he was calling Robin on his possessive behavior. Yeah. Like that. I, I choose to that as saying that she is not property. I, I choose to give that read rather than she's still up for bid. <laughs> Yeah. But you're right. It could be taken either way. The reason I'm willing to (laughs) cut him a little bit of slack on it is because what does follow is a wonderful, terrible joke that is actually a very cute scene of flirtation between the two. Okay, let's just do the joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) So Roy says, okay, for you, I won't continue this. But can I have a kiss first to remember our precious seconds together? Creepy. Mm -hmm. Starfire's response is great. We should set the scene also, which is that they're in the kitchen and she had been preparing some soup. That's, yes. And they're standing next to the stove together. Right. And so then Starfire says, after he says, can I have a kiss? She goes, you can have this spoon. Make your own soup. That is maybe the first on purpose joke I have seen Starfire make. And it's a pretty cute one. Mm -hmm. Like it works. And Roy's response is he launches into a one man like Henny Youngman routine here. Who was that ladle I saw you with last night? That was no ladle. That was my knife. Which I, you, you were asking if maybe Roy had had a stroke. Uh, you seemed very confused. Utterly dumbfounded by it because uh, I didn't think to replace ladle with lady and knife with wife. Yeah. Which, which is so obvious. Didn't occur. Yeah. But yeah, who was that lady I saw you with last night? That was no lady. That was my wife. It is a terrible, terrible joke that I found utterly charming. Despite the fact that it was coming out of Speedy, who is a total douchebag in this issue. But yeah, then Starfire asked Robin to explain the joke. And he's like, no, we don't have time. We're on a mission. Do you want to even come? She's like, yeah, we're going to go do this together. He's like, fine, then let's go. Stop asking questions. He's such a jerk. The biggest. Yeah. Well, 
he's a pretty big jerk. Also, Roy calls him Big G. I don't know what that, like, it took me a while to remember that his last name was Grayson. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what it stands for. What else would it stand for? That was the only thing I could think of. You big goofus. Goon. You big goon. Big. Giraffe. Yeah, probably giraffe. Because he was in a circus, like a giraffe would be. Right. Or a green albino baboon, like you would also find in a circus. Green albino. Like the kind that Beast Boy turned into when he hypnotized Oh, I know, I know. Which brings us to our third category. Okay. Fucking Wally. Do your own homework, man. Oh, man. He doesn't fucking listen at all. He's a bad listener. At all. He's a bad student. Bad student, bad listener, bad bad friend to Raven, Mm -hmm. since she has been very clear that she just wants to be friends. I mean, she she has given him some mixed signals, but... uh, She's very clear in this issue. She's like, I'd like to, but no fucking way, because evil. It can't work because I will accidentally blow up the universe if we start dating Mm -hmm. and probably kill you. And he's like, okay, but you wouldn't really. Anyway. Anyway, do my homework for me. Yeah. I don't like to read. Reading's dumb. Reading's for losers. Mm -hmm. Ah, Wally's so frustrating. He's lazy. Intellectually lazy. Yes. And and a jerk and doesn't listen to Raven when she is telling him very clearly and very explicitly what is happening with him. And then when it comes out that she was telling the truth, he acts as though she has betrayed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, dude. Lame. Yeah, fucking Wally. I was happy to see Francis Kane back. So, hold on. Before we move on from guys being jerks in this issue, do you okay. want to touch briefly on Beast Boy? Oh, sure. We can do a brief a fucking Garfield category. He didn't have as prolonged a segment, but man, he, uh... He's not good with people in this issue. <laughs> he has clearly taken a correspondence course from the Donna Troy School of Grief Council. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse, though, he doesn't say, get over it. He's just like... <laughs> Oh, boy. Your parents are dead. Why didn't I hear about it? (laughs) Thought he was a big deal. Thought your dead dad was a big deal, (laughs) Tara. Hey, why are you so mad? Yeah, he's like a hybrid of Donna and Wally in this. So, yeah, when we first see him, he's, I'm not saying I don't trust you, Tara, but why didn't you use your earth-shifting powers to stop those terrorists? She tells him to go get stuffed, and Roy is sitting there, and she tells Roy to shut up, too, even though he just said, how's it going? Which is pretty cute. But then she tells Beast Boy, Look, I just learned that my parents are dead. Can't you leave me alone? And his response is, That's another thing! If your dad was a king, why didn't you hear any news of his death? Those terrorists didn't exactly lock you away. And yeah, she tells him to fuck off. And he's like, But we're Titans. Titans work together. She's like, I'm not a fucking team Titan. Yep. Bad job all around. Yes, that's true. I think Garfield's I found more consistently funny, which is why I didn't have a separate note written down that said fucking Garfield. But yes, you are absolutely right. Beast Boy also did a bad job. Technically, Cyborg didn't really do a bad job because I think he was only in like two panels and he seemed fine. He just basically showed up and was like, hey, hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm going to go back to the machine shop and work on some things. You guys want to help? No? Speedy, you want to give me a hand? No, I'm eating a sandwich. Okay. That was it for Cyborg, this issue. But yes, in general, the men on on the Titan team, not so good. Not a good showing. No. No. No! Um, (laughs) let's, uh... What is it, Raven? 
I don't want to do your homework. So you know, we do get uh, Frances Kane shows back on the uh, Titan Island. Mm-hmm. Nice to see her again. Yep. Kind of freaked out. Her powers came back. Her powers came back, but she seems, I mean, last time she was not in any control of them. This time she seems able to basically control her powers, which led me to the thought. It looks as though they are trying to make the pivot where her and Wally will now be a couple. Mm-hmm. Potentially, that could make them have the two most Deus Ex Machina powers in superhero comic books. Super speed and magnetism. Mm-hmm. Together, they could do anything. Yep. Literally anything. They are an insane power couple at this point. True. If they become a couple. Yep, I had forgotten that magnets can make you fly and do anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. Anything. Yep. You can hypnotize people with magnets. Sure. You can freeze them motionless. Yep. Iron in the blood. Yep. Mm. Or just harnessing the Earth's magnetic field powers mm-hmm. to make stasis fields. Really, anything. Yeah. Pretty great. Good power. Yeah. What superhero power would you have? You could have any superhero power. Mm. I'm not really sure. I think maybe, like, you don't want to mess with time, generally no, speaking. No. I don't want to mess with, pe- with, with time. I don't want anything remotely psychic because I would go completely insane almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I can barely deal with the thoughts that I have. <laughs> yep. The idea of dealing with anybody else's thoughts is horrifying to me. Uh, and I'm sure there would be some kind of an ego loss thing happening and I would, it would be no good. This has come up before. I think we've had this conversation. I can't remember what I wanted to do. Just fly? No. It's it like something far. about like stop time and mess oh, with things. Like the, uh, like the girl in uh, Out of This World. I don't know what that is. Oh, uh, it was uh, like a Charles in Charge era syndicated sitcom type thing. Uh, I don't, how'd it work out for her? Pretty good. Pretty good. She was half alien. Her dad was an alien uh, and she could freeze time whenever she wanted to. Yeah, and maybe that, maybe like that. That would be that would be fun. I would make people poop their pants by pointing at them. Oh, yeah. Okay. We have had this. I know we've had this conversation. I don't know if we've had it on air. And oh. if we have, you know what? We've been doing this for over two years so there's gonna yep. be some fucking overlap yep sorry guys uh, but yeah if you could have people poop their pants just by pointing at them i think that would be nice but um, controlled not just any point because like if you forget yeah no <laughs> it's, it's an intentional thing oh okay. yeah because no man because when you point one finger at somebody <laughs> else three fingers are pointing back at you yeah i would be having triple diarrhea spontaneously so many times a day if it was that that was the rule you'd die i really would yeah i would dehydration yeah no thanks no thanks. No, it would be intention based, uh, but that would be how it would be triggered. Would be by pointing at people. Um, I'd probably have magnetism. I was just thinking I would maybe switch that up in favor of magnetism because I bet there's a way I could use magnetism can, to make people yeah. poop their pants. Oh yeah, you can do anything. I'm with sure that. there is. Yeah. I'm sure there is. Anyway, Frances Kane seems nice. Yeah, she's it, good. It is doubling down on the whole. She doesn't want to have her amazing powers and. Wally's like, oh, you're just like me. I don't want to have my powers either. Which, again, he was president of the Flash fan club when he got his Flash powers. He idolized the Flash. He wanted to be the Flash. When he got his Flash powers, he was super fucking stoked about them. Yeah, but And they're just erasing that history. Well, his dad gave him that turkey carver and Uh, got all all weird. (laughs) Man, I bet if he had magnet powers, he could uh, be wielding that turkey carver all over the place. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just would have been like, no, you keep it, Dad. <laughs> also, you just pooped your pants. Yep. Flash. I'm the man of the house. Flash out. <laughs> Let's talk about the bad guys in this issue, unless you had any more hero points you wanted to 
Oh, that's good, guys. Let's talk about computerized needles and <sighs> and all kinds of things. Let's start with that. Okay, Hoongen. I feel like we've been waiting forever for him to do anything. And he does something. This things. is the first time in the... He does a thing. Does he do more than one thing? He... Uh, no, he does <laughs> No, he thing. does not. He messes Wally's knee up. <laughs> he, he gives Wally a Charlie horse. No, <laughs> he, he, cuts through, he cuts through tendon and bone. I don't know if that is the case, because it seems like Wally's fine at the end. I get that he's got super he's speed got and super shit. He's got super speed and heals so he him can, up. Right. But it really just seems like Hoongan has been on this, like, cross planet road trip with the brotherhood of evil they are constantly being attacked by people and he's just kind of been standing there with his arms folded wearing his fucking g-string and suspenders he's like i got these dolls all right i've got these dolls and just waiting and then finally he's like oh um you got a bad knee Mm -hmm. he has you got a bad knee power well, he doesn't have dolls for everybody. Yeah, he doesn't. He and he needs to have the dolls. Really, this is not a guy you bring on your away missions. Not unless he's got the dolls and the needles ready to go. Well, he does have the dolls and the needles ready to go. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, seems like this is shit he could do from afar. Isn't that the whole point of voodoo? I mean, science voodoo or magic voodoo. And this is both. Yes. So, yeah, Why isn't he home. hanging out back at the crib with the brain and Monsieur Mala? I don't know, they probably just wanted some alone time to be together. <laughs> I can understand like that. Like, that good guy's always moping around, asking for new dolls and needles. <laughs> like, you guys never let me go on any missions. It is just the thing where, like, Phobia is fucking killing everybody by giving them heart attacks, causing their worst fears to manifest themselves. Seems like an awful lot of people's worst fears are snakes or variations of snakes. I guess with Speedy, it was technically, he's like, oh, I'll bring about your greatest fear, that you're hooked on drugs again and seeing snakes. Oh, does she say that? Something like that, yeah. Oh, I thought Um, it was just regular snakes. Most of the time, it's just regular snakes. Relive those dark days, child. Relive the tortures of a drug-induced mind. Relive the pain of withdrawals. Remember. But the way that manifests itself is there's a snake. Mm-hmm. An electric kind of snake. Yeah. I think she might just be saying that stuff, and really her power is just she can make people see snakes. Mm-hmm. No, she does a good job, though, for a bad guy. Yeah, but she she's killing a ton of heads with her evil snake powers. Mm-hmm. Warp teleporting people. He is getting them across the planet and killing a ton of people when he does it. Mm-hmm. Plasmus is melting everyone he comes in contact with, and Hoongin is just kind of standing there off in the corner just being like, Eventually, I'm going to give somebody a bad knee. Mm-hmm. Just you wait. They'll have a bad knee. Well, he's got a good costume. He's got a I good... can give any of these five people a bad knee. Because he clearly has, like, five fetish dolls. Yeah, why didn't he just, like, stab him in the head and be like... I don't know. I will kill you. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, they don't have any compunctions about killing people. They're trying to kill all of the other titans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take a fucking headshot, dude. A few other things about the Brotherhood. Uh, I mentioned warp teleporting people clear across the globe. He's doing a fucking great job of it. He has to do it in in small stages because it's really difficult for him to teleport people. Mm-hmm. After the plane crashes because the pilot was a robot, and we find out that Plasmus used to be a pilot too. We may have known that before, I certainly didn't remember. The plane crashes into the ocean. He manages at the last minute to teleport them to a desert island. He says, oh, I I can't teleport for a while. And then Plasmus says like, I want you to. And he's like, oh, okay, then I will. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's almost immediately. Uh, he he does a very good job, though. He does a good job. 
You know what they do a bad job about? What? Is just getting on this red airplane. Like, yeah. how do they not know who's flying it? Man. Did they just hop on and, like, it takes off and they're like, yes, clearly this will take us where we wish to go. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, it's a real Temple of Doom situation. The same mm. thing happened at the beginning of that movie. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't just have the pilot, like, I mean, he's a robot. Why didn't he, like, have a bomb go off and then they explode the plane? That way there's not the warning time of them crashing into the ocean if they know they have a teleporter on board, which they do. Mm -hmm. They should have done their due diligence. Also, kind of clumsy death trap. But let's put all of that aside a second and get to my favorite, favorite thing about the Brotherhood of Evil. Mm. Maybe my favorite thing that has happened in a comic book in a very long time that we have read it. That we have read it. <laughs> I am enjoying this hot topic very much. Yeah, you read it good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I read the shit out of this comic book, yeah, Corey. Yeah, likewise. The brain has reprogrammed himself to speak with a French accent. Oh, did he not do that before? He did not. I looked it up. That was the thing I had to run in here and check. Ah. Uh. For some reason, the brain, who is a disem- disembodied brain mm-hmm. in a robot body, is speaking with a computerized voice that he has, since the last time we saw him, reprogrammed himself to speak with a computerized French accent. Which apparently surprises the holy heck out of Monsieur Mala. Have you, did you see the, the his <laughs> he face? He's wide-eyed. I think it may have been like, like a, a Valentine's Day present Aww. for him. He's just like, I, I wanted us to be the together, my ape lover. <laughs> We are a family, are we not? On Han Han. That's how you say oh. Oh, in robot French. In robot French. Okay. (laughs) In robot French accent, because he's still speaking English. It is some fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator type bullshit. Where yeah, why is Terminator or just in everything? (laughs) Okay, specifically in Terminator, just the idea that you would have a robot speak with a German accent. But yeah, we let's let's take a look at some of the brain's dialogue because I kept trying to figure out how a roboticized French accent would even work. You have done well, my brotherhood. The brain is pleased. Indeed, Phobia, that I shall. But remember, the one we seek will be well guarded. They will fight to the death to prevent her abduction. I love that fact so much, and you are right. It, it is. Monsieur Mala, his eyes are wide. He's bugging, He's like, man. What? <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, see, brain. Finally, you sound normal, mon ami. The only other thing I know, by and large, we have dispensed with the fucking Roy category. But I do want to bring up really quickly when the alarm goes off on the island that the Titan Tower is on mm-hmm. because Francis has just arrived from the mainland. The alarm sounds off. It's a long string of capital E's. Yep. Roy hears it and says, that sounds like me trying to sing. Dude, you were a professional musician for years. Oh, yeah. I think he was the singer for The Great Frog. Well, that explains their lack of commercial success. Mm. I mean, otherwise it is completely inexplicable. They were the rock combo that had the best shofar player. I think Roy was a drummer, but I think he was the singing drummer like Phil Collins in Genesis. I mean, you know, not like Phil Collins in Genesis. Nobody mm-hmm. sings that good. Nobody's like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess Don Brewer sang some songs for Grand Funk Railroad, too, from behind the, the behind, throne. Behind the old kit. Yeah. 
they call that the throne, or is that just That's the toilet? toilets? Well, who knows what he was using for a drum stool? Nobody. Yeah. No way who, knows know. what, who knows what Don was brewing? Oh! oh. <laughs> okay, are you ready to move on to the minutia? <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you know what? Before we move on to the minutia, last week we were gifted a beautiful rap song about our, our little podcast oh, by, by one Mr. Rick Hansen. Yep, that was a delight. This week we have been given an even greater present. By Rick Hansen. An actual present. Yes. Um, we received a, a Christmas gift in, in the mail from, from Rick. And we, we have not opened it yet. It was very difficult for me. It's been sitting on my desk. It yep. was difficult, I think, for Corey to not open it during the last hour. Yep. Yep. But, I've displayed remarkable patience in waiting for this very moment. Uh, shall we? Yes. Good job. What is this? Auto Man! <laughs> We have been given a three DVD set of Auto Man. Now we will know. Now we will know. I have not seen this since I was a a wee lad. I have never seen it. Here's what I'm going to say. I think we should watch the pilot and record this podcast for the Patreon about it. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Okay. There will be, in the next few weeks, a special Patreon-only podcast about the pilot episode of Auto Man. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you. And now will you give us an even greater gift, the gift of singing us into the Minutia segment. We got Minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just Minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got Minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. So, Corey, what do you want to start with? Let's start with a trip down the runway. Ooh, sartorially speaking? That's what I meant, yes. Okay, Corey, sartorially speaking, what fashion choices that were made in this issue would you like to discuss? Dick's workout gear really... Yeah. I wouldn't say struck a chord with me, but really puzzled me. What's what's puzzling? He's got uh, enhanced uh, enhanced <laughs> mobility? Because he's just wearing the Speedo and some uh, pink ballet slippers? They're fuchsia and they match. Like, it's yeah, like you a... don't coordinate your workout gear? No. I mean, I, no. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't think so. <laughs> and I don't wear Speedos to the gym. That's weird. Well, it's his, like, personal home gym. If I had a home gym, I probably wouldn't <laughs> wear Speedos and belly slippers there either. Okay. I guess that's fair. I did think it was kind of funny if, like, because we see he is doing, like, a full Rocky montage of a workout. Maybe it was a ballet-related thing. Like, that was popular in the 80s. Maybe. Right? Like, do you think this is like a White Knights homage? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's the Mikhail Baryshnikov. Gregory Hines. Yeah, film. yeah. Yeah. This is a good movie. I think. I remember thinking it was pretty cool as a kid. But yeah. I... I think that's the one that I thought was cool. I might have been thinking of a different ballet-themed action film. <laughs> Jim Cotta. <laughs> Probably. That was not ballet. That was gym. It had gymnastic kills and karate throws. I know. Well, that's what Dick Grayson should be into. <laughs> Maybe it is. Oh. He survived the village of the damned. Oh, man. With that pommel horse that's over a well. <laughs> Doesn't explain the pink speedos and the slippers. No, I Fusion. think that is a, 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 a precognitive homage to Brian Bosworth and Stone Cold. I think that's just an 80s thing. Like, cool... Cool dudes wear pink speedos <laughs> and ballet slippers when they're hanging out. Uh, it's a bad look, though. Is it? I don't know. I think so. Corey, 
I want you to go back to the 80s in your mind. I want you to think back to that international mail catalog <laughs> that you did not realize you were not the target audience for. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. And think, you thought those guys looked pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. It's just an 80s thing. Then. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about a fashion choice that wasn't made. When we see that scene where Monsieur Mala is totally wide-eyed mm-hmm. and the brain is speaking with a computerized French accent. Mm-hmm. No hat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, give that monkey a beret. Mm-hmm. He looks ridiculous. Without his Without beret. his beret. I know. That talking super intelligent ape with a French accent and a bandolier of bullets looks ridiculous without a beret. Shame. Give him a beret. Give the man a beret. He's not a man. Give the ape a beret. Yeah, give the ape a beret. And I also liked when Frances Kane is doing her little jaunt across the Hudson to the Titan Tower. Mm-hmm. I like her outfit. Mm-hmm. She's like got like a, a pink, like kind of puffy windbreaker that she's got the collar popped on. Mm-hmm. And pink some kind of like pink. They look like almost like moon boots with little heels mm-hmm. and and some like leg warmers, I bet. It's a good, good luck. Good 80s. Yeah. For this issue, did you have a show and tell or a timestamp? I'm going to go with a show and a tell. Show okay. and tell. What was your show and tell? My show and tell was when the airplane piloted by the bad robot yep. dives into the ocean to destroy the Brotherhood of Evil. They say, plunging towards the ocean, going to crash. Yep. I agree. I had that one also. Yes, we are plunging towards the ocean, going to crash. Yes, that is exactly what is happening. Well spotted. I also had for a timestamp the little kid telling Robin that... Oh, E.T. E.T., making mm-hmm. an E.T. reference yeah. after saying Superman and Batman, they're my favorite right after E.T. That's right, 19, that's when this came out. Or 82 or 83, I can't this, remember. This is... E.T. I think, I think this is around when E.T. came out. I forget exactly I so. what year. I think, uh, so. I think it's 82. It's a I think crazy this came popular out in movie, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Reese's Pieces. It's a bad movie. I don't like it. I haven't seen it as an adult, actually. I've seen it once as an adult. I was unimpressed. Peter Coyote's good in it, I believe. Hmm? There's a guy in it named Peter Coyote. No. Oh. It was the main scientist guy who wasn't that bad. That's the actor name or the... The actor, yeah. Oh. That's an interesting name. Yeah. Well, he is a coyote. Oh, like Peter E. Coyote? Yes. Yes. He's he's wearing a, a, a human skin suit that he sent away for an acme. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Well, that'll fool anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most people. I wasn't fooled. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I threw that shit. You know what I think we should do, Corey? I think we should take this party to the Bozone. Okay. Now, in this issue, what instance of someone calling another character a Bozo would you like to highlight? The best one we got, man. Page 15. Bozo! Tara calls Beast Boy a bozo. Straight up. Straight up bozo. Mm-hmm. This is our first natural bozo in many issues, and I was delighted by it. Yep. Um, I, I know when we were going over and taking our notes, we are like, I'm having trouble finding a bozo in this issue. I was like, really? Yeah. It's got a real bozo. Yep, but I found it. You did indeed. I had my own aha moment. Eagle-eyed Rita, Corey Whitney, 
Spots found the, bo- the bozo. I found the bozo. On no bozo too big, no bozo too small. Corey Whitney spots them all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. We'll use that when we open the PI agency. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, specifically, we will investigate uh, whether bozos. people are bozos. <laughs> sound effects. What sound effect did you find most illuminating? Ah, I liked when Francis beans phobia on the noggin. With some kind of a metal urn, right? Yep. And it makes the noise skunk. Skunk. I had that one too. That one's nice. Mm-hmm. I also liked when Tara tripped Beast Boy. And because she, I guess, kicked him with her foot but did it lightly, it makes the noise skick. I th- yeah, I thought of that as like a, like a sliding along the floor and tripping him. Yeah, I still like don't hear that. Kick. I don't understand how it makes that noise. I do like it. It's like it. a slippery kick. I think it might be another one of those things like Zounds is a portmanteau of God's wounds. I think she might have been delivering God's own kick. Okay. Zkick. <laughs> um, Why not? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was fun. There's also a skablam. That's mm-hmm. pretty nice. Yep, We've I seen a lot that. of skablams. But it, it's it's a well-executed one. That's the Brotherhood's mm-hmm. plane crashing yep. into the ocean. That was nice. We had a splam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good old yeah. Splam. Splam's nice. Let's talk about panels. Okay, what was your favorite panel, Corey? Oh, man. Artwork in this was great. Yeah. Yeah, really great. Great layout, great design. Beautiful, beautiful artwork by George Perez, really, as always. Yep. I went kind of towards the goofier end of the spectrum okay. in this one. And I, I already mentioned Mala, Monsieur Mala being wide-eyed. And yes. So just super freaked out. But... um. I think what I'm going to go with is more day-to-day thing of um, Speedy just really enjoying the soup. I had the, the one on page 15? I have 13. Page 13 is what I wrote down. Oh, okay. We both have... I have him enjoying a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. No, that that is a nice panel. It's him eating some <laughs> tomato and rice soup. He's gazing <laughs> off into the, the middle distance wistfully. Yeah. Just uh, using the spoon that he has been gifted by Starfire to remember their fleeting seconds together. Yep. Yeah, you're right. That is really nice. He's eating it right off the, right over the oven, just giving it a little taste. I had the panel for my favorite. I had a couple that I really liked. One of them was, I call it Brother Blood Skull Bending. Mm. It, it's like okay. an Avatar the Last uh, Airbender type move, only he's like... He's riding high on this, like, giant column of skulls that it really looks like he is just, like, ridden out of this pool of lava. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks really cool. It's badass. Um, and he's doing that for a couple of panels and, like, making Tai Chi moves. So, to me, it really does look like he's he's skull bending. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty dope. There are some scenes of post-Brotherhood mayhem that are pretty well rendered. One in the jungle, one mm-hmm. in the... Uh, wrecked church on Zandia. And Robin's rocky montage scene mm-hmm. is fucking dope. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite is on page 15. And it is Roy T eating a sandwich and drinking a cola. And part of it is the panels that are happening here are it's the Terrence just said, can the questions, bozo, mind your own business. Roy says, hi guys, how's it going? Terrence says, you shut up too, Archer. And he goes, Yep, guess it will be a nice day if it doesn't rain. And he's just got his mouth full. He's eating a sandwich, sitting at the kitchen table, and very much being the awkward semi-adult in the room with two 
squabbling teenagers mm-hmm. and just he he's got that thing where it's like well i'm here this is happening mm-hmm. it's kind of awkward but i'm eating a sandwich so i'm not going anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't really live here it's all of that somehow to me at least is conveyed in this one panel and it's it's pretty cool it is very nice now who is this issue's aqualad who is the best teen titan in this issue the best Teen Titan in this issue is Francis Kane for saving Wally's life. We are on the same page. Ah, yeah, I, I had I, Francis I, Kane too. It's a it's a bit of a stretch. She's mm-hmm. not. She's a teen, and she does fight on the side of the Titans using her superpowers. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm saying she could be a Teen Titan. But yeah, you uh, glad to hear it. Yeah, I had her, and then if you were going to object to that as a backup, I had Starfire for just really maintaining a good attitude throughout and. And also making a funny, kind of funny joke to Roy, mm-hmm. which I, I really enjoyed. Like, you can have this spoon to remember our time together, but yep. make your own soup. Yeah, that was great. Frances did a great job and mostly just she contributed the most in an actual fight without having previously or during the fight behaving like a complete nincompoop. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, good job. Yep. Low yeah. bar, but high v- performance. Yes. Now, conversely... A very tightly contested uh, race in this one. Who was the speedy? Who was the worst Teen Titan? I Man. had I had the two of them, and and I'll take whichever one you didn't. Okay, it, it was it was tight for me, and honestly, Wally was up there as well. I went slightly with Dick. I think he's a little bit worse, and also just in terms of speedy, speedy. We we knew it was a scorpion when when right. when we had to offered to give us a ride across this issue on its back mm-hmm. dick i feel i still feel like is maybe redeemable and so i i, I want to course correct him if i possibly can and just be like dude you are being a huge asshole and i honestly think he was despite speedy creepily hitting on everybody that came within his reach like he's some kind of a sexual harassing jellyfish um <laughs> i think dick was worse he, uh, the, yeah, you don't the, treat the, people the, that care about you like that. That's no, and it's specifically unsettling the way in which he's being controlling and manipulative, I think, of his relationship with Starfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's like her first time dating an Earth dude, too. Yeah, so for her, he's going to give us say, all a bad name. Right? Yeah. Mm. From now on, she's just going to be like, maybe I can go hang out with, uh, I don't know, that creepy bird lady from Zoobly Zoo seemed nice. Again with the Zoobly Zoo. Yeah, and I don't know why she's talking in a raven voice. I guess she's trying out some different things. Yeah. She's in an experimental phase in her life. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I really, I felt like Dick was, he was the worst. Although Speedy and Wally were also the worst. Well, I'll go with Speedy and then that way we got... Got our bases covered. Yep. Yeah. Man, fuck those dudes. Yep. My That's... notes were simple. I I have, you know, Speedy as the category, and then sure. it just says Speedy is Speedy. Yep. And Dick is a dick. I actually had Dick, then Wally, then Roy. Hmm. Um, and they're really all... And really, Wally's behavior, too. Just the, the idea that, like, not listening to a woman when she tells you something, and then when it turns out she's telling the truth, being mad at her about it. Yeah. I, I mean, especially with what's bad. been going on in the news lately, just... Mm. That is that definitely hit me the wrong way, mm-hmm. but across the board, man. All the Roy stuff too, right? Like that's yeah, the... yeah, yeah, yuck, yeah. It's mm. all gross. All gross. All yeah. the time. 
man, why can't they be more like Cyborg and not appear very much in this issue? Yeah, go fix something. Just go fix something in your lab. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to our final revelation. Wapoot! Indeed. Corey, Wapoot! What is Aqualad probably up to in the year of our Lord, 1983, <laughs> and the month of our Lord, March? March. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so uh, Aqualad on his sea-strengthened legs has taken himself on a tour to the west coast of the U.S. of A. to try and hook up with some of his old hippie pals from his wet and wild days. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, but it winds up going a little further south. Gets caught up in some crazy weather system. Ooh. Yes, uh, including a tornado. Corey, did he cause that tornado? No, but what happened was... <gasps> did Bromstick cause the tornado? Bromstick may have caused the tornado. We'll never know. Maybe we'll find out. But this tornado wreaks destruction and injury across um, the city of Los Angeles. Sure. Depositing the befuddled Aqualad, fortunately hydrated. Yes. In the rubble of a Borders book of a bookstore okay. of some chain, which they probably had in the 80s. Okay, maybe a Walden Books? Yeah, let's say it's a Walden Books in the mall. Okay. And um, he dusts himself off, and he is smashed into the news magazine stand. Oh. And in his lap is the March 1983 issue of Time Magazine. And he's like, uh, it's the first thing he sees, and he's like, oh, that's weird. It looks like there's a typo on the cover of this major publication. And shakes his head and looks again. And indeed, in the uh, top right-hand corner of the page, there's a thing about Henry Kissinger, which says, A new plan for arms, control. Not control with an R, but oh. control. And the typo was that it said Henry Kissinger, not insane war criminal Henry Kissinger. <laughs> that was more of an omission, but <laughs> okay. Okay. And, yeah, so he kind of shakes his head and is like, nope, that's totally there. And, you know, being the right. good person he is, flips open and finds the editorial information and places a call. And uh, Time recalled all of the issues because it was the first time ever that they had a typo on the cover. And they were very embarrassed. Wow. And so one for Grammar, one for Aqualad. Very nice. Sorry, very sorry nice. about the uh, tornado, <laughs> L.A. <laughs> I like to think that possibly he was able to quell the tornado by... Do you remember when he caused the underwater tornado by calling for the DDT underwater? He was underwater? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe he, he somehow remembered that, even though he was mind-controlled at the time, and did a reverse DDT call and untornadoed a tornado. Oh, maybe he saved LA from worse damage. Yeah, that's a possibility. Well, one thing that he was definitely up to was he got called into Aquaman's office of the king, King Aquaman, mm. and Aquaman was like, Dude... I know you don't like this, but you are a diplomat for Atlantis. You are on our official diplomatic core team. You're going to make a visit to the White House. Oh. So he made a visit to the White House, and he ended up having to have a fairly awkward meeting with Ronald Reagan. Did they talk about movies? They did end up talking about movies. They were both very excited about the new Star Wars movie that was going to come out. <laughs> they were trying to find some common ground because Aqualad... And Ronald Reagan definitely didn't see eye to eye on a number of things. Nuclear proliferation. Um, Winning one for the Gipper. The, these fundamental issues Aqualad and Reagan disagreed on. Mm -hmm. But they were able to find common ground. They were both very excited that Return of the Jedi was coming out in a couple of months. They were Jelly both beans. big Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. So they talked about Star Wars uh, kind of a lot. And 
that kind of put the idea in, oh. in Ronald Reagan's head. Um, a couple of ideas. He also just started talking to Aqualad about like what the best weapons were and stuff like that. And Aqualad is like, well, look, dude, just the worst, most effective weapon imaginable is obviously a net. There is no known defense against nets. They are the worst. They're <laughs> always catching me mm -hmm. and Aquaman in them. It's, it's fucking terrible. And, oh, God, an electrified net? Can you even imagine such a thing? Uh, it's There's no escape from them. Nothing uh, can get by a net. A net of lasers? That is what Ronald Reagan's counteroffer was. And that blew Aqualad's mind. He's like, that sounds awesome. Oh, no. Aqualad liked the SDS. Yeah. So, a few months later, that later that month, Reagan... Well, and, you know, Aqualad never said it would work. He just said that nets work. Okay. He said nets are super effective. And so, somehow, in Ronald Reagan's mind, that morphed into the Star Wars Defense Initiative, which he proposed later that month, uh, which would essentially be surrounding the Earth in a giant laser net mm -hmm. that would catch all of the missiles. Mm -hmm. Didn't work. There was no science behind it. I, I mean, if he was counting on Atlantean science, I mean, those guys hadn't even figured out a fucking canteen yet. So mm -hmm. good luck with a space laser net. But we had roughly the same level of technology, so who are we to cast stones? And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Not sure mm -hmm. that's his best showing, but... It wasn't his fault, man. He was taken out of context. His crazy small talk ideas that he was bringing up got turned into a ruinous defense spending boondoggle. Mm. But he did go see Return of the Jedi later. Ah, that was fun. He liked the Ewoks. Who didn't? Yeah. A lot of people, honestly, it seems like. Oh, really? Well, Corey, thank you once again for joining us for this delightful time reading a comic book. You are quite welcome. We will be back next week with the dramatic conclusion, possibly, of the Sons of the Serpent storyline in The Defenders. Mm. And we'll be back in two weeks to find out what that wacky old brotherhood evil wants with Raven. What could they want? Hmm, possibly use to negotiate with Trigon, maybe? Use her powers to destroy people. Yeah, probably. They would hate that. Mm-hmm. No, wait, they would love it. She would hate that. Oh, people would hate that. Oh, people would, People don't like being destroyed. Nope. Learned that the hard way. What? Hmm, nothing. <laughs> I had a lot of fun recording this. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. Uh, if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever iTunes is calling itself these days, please do that. That would be nice. We've had some very nice ones, and uh, it helps people find the podcast and helps more people get in touch with us, and that's cool. If you would like to give us some money, oh, well, that's a nice thing to do. Sure. You can do that at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. I think that's it. Okay. Well, hey, this is a fun time, Mon Ami. Libor God, he's a robot. <laughs> <laughs>